1: Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.
2: Welcome to Lord, a podcast about Chicago history you didn't learn in school. My name is Alyssa, and I am joined by Mona. How are you today? I'm awesome. How are you? Really excited to dive into episode two of Captain Streeter. Awesome. So we are in for a ride a little more wild than when the wheels fall off of a Tesla. Yeah. Which happens an alarming amount of times. I mentioned that I was diving into Streeter with two of my fellow tour guides and they both respond with, he's my favorite Chicago story. One even said there should be a movie of his life and I don't disagree. This man does not get enough attention. And it's actually funny. I was thinking, like brainstorming with the movie. I was thinking maybe Streeter, exclamation point, the musical. Which then reminded me of, my dad was telling me not too long ago, he said, like, oh, you should read Studs Terkel's Working. And I'm like, they turned it into a musical. The next day he's like, you should read Mike Reiko's Boss about Mayor Daley. And I'm like, they turned it into a musical. So Streeter, exclamation point, the musical, doesn't seem out of the oh, realm. Rent is the 90s version of squatters. We need some 1890s version of squatters. Last episode, we ended in 1889 when the five cops tried to remove him from Trash Island. The rich dudes then tried evicting him, but the case was thrown out at the local level. The decision was upheld at the Illinois Supreme Court, and they did not want to take it to SCOTUS in fear that they might lose. I'm going to say that's the normal part of the story. In June 1889, the Illinois legislature grants the park board, so the Lincoln Park Board, the title to the submerged land off the North Township and Lakeview. The area north of the park, south of the river, east of Michigan Avenue. They also approved extending Lakeshore Drive from the north end of the park to Grand. The Lincoln Park Board now has the title to the property. It's worth noting the contracts will not be signed until 1892, but they start construction. I also just want to point out here, it's not the rich men who have the title to the property. It is the Lincoln Park Board. And other people started to squat there, and the police removed them. The shore was also beginning to experience some erosion issues, so they started to build a seawall. That's just what's happening with the rich guys and the development. Now we're going to go back to Waste Island. Though being largely ignored by the rich dudes, the Pine Street, that's what they now call Michigan Avenue, the Pine Street Association, a group of middle-class landowners, frequently sent pug uglies to serve warrants. These men were, and I quote, barroom brawlers, former mining camp boxers, and dock workers. Do you know what a pug ugly is? No, but it sounds familiar. It's an old-timey word. Synonyms include
1: thugs, bullies, and gangsters. Nice. So basically, some of the people I work with. Yeah. Comedians. Yep. Gotta love the vigilante
2: justice here. And this actually reminds me of the street violence of the Proud Boys. They're on trial right now for J6, Seditious Conspiracy. They're having their testimony this week, actually. And I haven't been paying a lot of attention to it. But they did talk about needing to patrol the streets because of, and I quote, Cop Tifa. They believe the cops yes. were in bed with tifa. <laughs> I crack up because it's just so absurd. From Klatt's book. Sure. Guilt or innocence meant little in the police courts he often faced. That's Streeter. Jury fees were paid by the person being tried, so the defendant needed only to be entertaining for acquittal. Stranger yet, men needed for jury duty before a 1903 reform were often grabbed near saloons. Someone needing 50 cents for a few more drinks would stand outside and try to look sober.
1: Nice. I feel like that's pretty common even today.
2: You can also tell rich people were not getting arrested. Yeah. Just imagine the cops going up to the diversity rock and ball and picking people up for jury duty.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. How? I really just got that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good
2: impression. Like, where they all go out and smoke by the back door there. Uh, yeah. That was uh, a place
1: where people saw them to do that after jury duty.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They could just get double jury duty. But to be fair to Streeter, this does seem to be a jury of his peer.
1: Yeah, fair enough.
2: Out of curiosity, I reviewed the Sixth Amendment. And by the letter of the law, by the way, I am not a constitutional scholar. I just kind of look to see if this works. And it doesn't seem to be in a violation. But I do think this would be a better case for SCOTUS than a real estate dispute.
1: Uh, Oh, trust me.
2: So the mayor, Mayor Hempstead Washburn, such a name, he wanted to end the frontier vibes. So he made Chicago the first American city to have an army-style drill police force. Ooh. Yeah. This was a time when policing shifted from whatever that was before, because I can't quite pinpoint what that was, non-existent, to protecting property. Uh And uh, for context, the Haymarket riots were in 1886 and the Pullman riots were in
1: 1894.
2: Okay. And I want to underscore this for a little bit of what was happening because we were talking about the development that we talked about in the last episode and how the city was developing. And this street Flight wasn't specifically about class. It's just in the ethos of what's happening in the city at the time. Yeah. Now back to Streeter. From Clap. As he worked, loafed, and even as he slept, the value of the shore kept rising. From 168 front foot in 1882, around when Palmer started thinking about changing the nature of the north side, The value jumped to $800 in 1892, even though the carriage away had not Uh been brought across Streeterville. Over the next 700 days, the land would be worth
1: 1,500 a front foot. Whoa. Now I
2: did not do the math to see what that would be by today's standards. So I'm going to go with the technical term
1: a lot. Yeah. And if anybody wants to message us, having done all the math, then we can receive them as the we'll receive it. Thanks. Yeah. I might look it up.
2: We've got, a, I would say we've got at least two more Streeter episodes coming. So I could look it up for the next episode. Wow. Yeah. They start building like shore drive. Not shockingly, there was corruption. More on that later. Around 10 a.m. the morning of February 8, 1893, after Greeter had left Slop Isle, Maria looked up and saw Constable Charles Vogel leading a small army of hired men. She yelled, quote, you get out of here. The captain will be home pretty soon now, and he will shoot every one of you rascals. Undeterred. Okay. Yeah. I mean, she's just straight out threatening violence. Cool. The team was undeterred and they had orders to take everything but essential personal belongings from Streeter. And is that they're like going to the toothbrush well, or
1: something?
2: Yeah. Toothbrush, clothes. Remember, it's garbage island meets hoarders. One thing that's happening is Streeter's adding all these little broken boats to his garbage island. For example, at one point in time, the carpenters destroyed part of the second level so they could push a piano down a plank.
1: Sometimes your sentence is just really impressive.
2: Thank you. You Push the piano down a
1: plank. Yeah, they had a piano on the second level and they were just going to push us down a plank. Wow. Outnumbered, Maria ran downtown to fetch her husband.
2: According to Klatt, amid piles of clothes and papers, he buried his whiskered face into his hands. But what seemed like despondency was cold, hard thinking. The captain looked up and scanned what was on the ground, judged distances, and sought areas no one was watching. He edged up a mound of belongings and slid the Winchesters and three Navy revolvers. He walked unnoticed into his small workshop and shoved the guns under an old carpet. Then he nonchalantly stepped out of the scow with
1: the carpet rolled under his arm. Impressive. It's impressive. I'm okay. Carpets are. Yeah. I don't think he was a weak man. Right. He leaves the scow. He's got this carpet with guns
2: under his arm and he boards another boat called Maria the Squatter. And he and Maria board up the boat and they sit there quietly. Now Streeter being quiet made everybody uncomfortable. But first I want to talk about the name of a boat called Maria the Squatter. Because I feel like our guy is taunting them as blatantly as
1: Trump jeers prosecutors. Like, uh. He's like an early troll on some levels. Yeah.
2: So what happens next? He then pokes his rifle through a window and they just start screaming swear words. Maria and Streeter are just cussing the shit out of this crew. And also present was Fairbanks. Remember him from episode one? He's one of the rich guys. Yeah. He sent his lawyer to oversee all this. His lawyer is disgusted by what is happening. And he left, went to the police station, and returned with an arrest warrant. Officer Kerr, who's the officer who shows up, commanded Streeter surrender.
1: But then he accepted no for an answer. What? I know. How do not tell it? It? No. What? And then the cop listened. And goes away. I'm like... It. that's so cool i love that i'm gonna try that stuff i hopefully there isn't next time but i'll try it
2: i don't recommend it but okay the cops left to go get reinforcements but they returned only with captain barney Bayer. i love that name
1: i was gonna say that's a great that's a great name
2: that's a great name for a, that's, that's a cop name right there
1: yeah cop name from like the 30s ish yeah yeah. he assured cap'n that if he
2: surrendered that he would be bonded out in a few hours streeter agrees to this he sends maria to go get a lawyer we don't know who the lawyer is if it's a real lawyer who knows but he sends streeter to go get a lawyer well streeters in the clink the laborers constructed a fence and the crew took the remnants of the fortress to a temporary municipal dump set up by the mayor, which is now Millennium Park.
1: Ooh, that's cool to know. Yeah. From left. The captain went home
2: from the lockup and knocked down a guard who had been posted to keep him from touching his boats until they could be sold at auction. Next. He removed a concealed rifle from under the weatherboarding of his fortress and told Constable Haskins and his two assistants to clear out. Clatt goes on to say the approximately 50 year old squatter climbed up one of his upside down boats and fired through the window of the fortress. Haskins and his assistants threw themselves to the floor and surrendered.
1: That's some straight vigilante. Wow, wild, wild west kind of behavior you flip a boat over and just start shooting yeah it was cool the boat was flipped over probably by the
2: crew and then he climbed to top and then he went through because he fired through the window so he was in the boat which was upside down
1: that's really cool that's one of those scenes from like the mob movies where somebody comes in and starts to shoot up the place but they flip up over the tables and they start shooting back yeah it yeah yeah
2: or even in procedural crime dramas. Apparently, Streeter kept brandishing his guns and he started to throw sticks and bottles at them to make sure they kept walking. Sticks and bottles. Wow. Sticks. They went from guns to sticks and bottles? Yeah, I don't get the feeling that at this point, he really I don't get the feeling he really wanted to hurt anybody. Yeah, it seems like she was just having fun. Yeah, it's a trolliness of it. Streeter destroyed the fence, and he tried to reassemble his home. But Maria was missing at this point in time. Maria has not come home, has not gotten a lawyer. So, do you think this was the last straw for her, Rona? I don't
1: know. Oh, no, doesn't she have a mouth on her?
2: She's got a mouth on her. She's the one that said, get out of here. Captain's going to shoot every one of you last rascals. Yeah. Got busted for public intoxication and, wait for it, assaulting an officer. Why? Good job, Ma. Good job. Good job, Maria. She's in jail. So, you know, I love a couple that goes to jail on the same day for two totally different incidents. That's a power couple. Oh, nice. He's officially housed. He borrows some money and he purchases a vacant lot on the south side. Now, because I know you know the city, he bought a lot at 73rd and South Vincennes Avenue.
1: Oh, Vincent, Yeah.
2: Uh, he bought a lot there. He also purchased an eight flat across the street. And he set up a grocery store on the first floor. He's now officially a property owner. What do you think about Streeter going the straight and narrow?
1: Wow. Yeah. Nice. Do you think he's going gonna to keep? No, Because we just said you had was a bunch more episodes.
2: The minute I said that, I'm like, I just said we have four more episodes. So Streeter becoming a happy grocer is definitely not where our story ends. But it's also worth noting that in court he would claim he never left the North side and he was yeah. plotting. For, what? That's funny. Yeah. Cause he has to have squatters rights. If he's yeah, going to yeah. claim that the property is his, you can't leave, but he was nevertheless plotting his return the entire time. One of the publications went to maria and asked what's the deal with streeter's businesses what's happening with his enterprise as you could say streeter would be rude enough not to talk but not maria maria tells the paper everything so in the summer of 1890, yeah i just don't know if she maybe she was drunk but she just couldn't keep her mouth shut when the papers approached her streeter couldn't keep his mouth shut but he was smart enough to not just be like we be crimin'. Maria tells them that in the summer of 1891, a lawyer, two real estate developers, and several others convinced Streeter to form the North American Deposit and Investment Company, which is an entity that only ever existed on paper. They divided the land into 25 plots, which they bought, that's using some heavy air quotes there, and sold, heavy air quotes again and sold, back and forth. Jacking the price up to $10,000 each. Wow. Nice. That's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. I don't understand finance, really. It's abstract to me. But even I am smart enough to know that at this point in time, they're
1: just playing Monopoly. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking that, too. And the only thing that makes it not a Ponzi scheme is they were doing it to each other. Yeah. 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 Bitcoin also comes to mind here.
2: So Maria has blabbed this whole plot or whole whatever they're doing to the paper. It's illegal. And the entire company has to be dissolved.
1: Oh, really? Yeah, because it's oh, yeah, labs. It, this isn't a real business. I feel nowadays there would be talk that
2: someone should go to jail. No one wants to go to jail for it, but this is revealed, the partnership fell apart, and Streeter was again broke. Shortly after this, a sheriff arrived at the Southside grocery store to seize the grocery inventory. I didn't look into illegal search and seizure, but I feel that taking grocery inventory because of a bad real estate fraud is non-germane, but what do I know? So the Chicago Hillbillies, that's Marie and Streeter, they uh, invite... Uh, uh, it really is what I can picture.
1: You get off my land, you varmint. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. That's how I saw it too. That's why I was like, uh-huh. And then you're like, wait, no. She said that. I'm like, oh, it just seems totally in her character at this point. Yeah. But it's also just,
2: you're just like, whoa. The Chicago Hillbillies invited the deputy in for dinner. Now, this deputy's got to be one of the dumbest mother because Streeter's got to be known through the city. This is the man that will pull a gun on you. They invite him in for dinner. They lure him to the upper level. They left him sitting there, and he gets bored. He wanders downstairs where he's greeted by a shotgun pointed in his face. Ooh! If I was a cop, I would not be sitting down with the streeters to have dinner. And I was supposed to take their groceries. Now, they didn't shoot him. He just either ran away or they let him go. They didn't shoot him. The following Monday. Did they just do it for effect or something? I think they just do it for effect. It works because pretty much this has been an effective way for them to get their way. Aside from the incident, when they came to arrest him and said, you need to surrender and then took no for an answer. It's been a strategy that's worked for them. But the following Monday, the sheriffs broke in with a ram of two by fours and arrested the couple. Charges were, for reasons unknown, quickly dismissed.
1: Okay. Are they just doing this because they want to reason to play with guns?
2: I don't know
1: does it feel like that, though? There is
2: something modern-day gun culture about, like, I'm just going to have a gun on. Like, the people who bring their guns into the Starbucks. What's going to happen to you at Starbucks? So, I mean, yeah, it could just be that they wanted to play with guns.
1: And if the caffeine can't move your ass, then you really don't deserve the gun. <laughs> <laughs> you know how <what laughs> is, and how addictive this stuff is? No, I'm kidding. go ahead. I'm having some now.
2: Nice. I ordered enough coffee to get me through the rest of the year. Oh, cool. Keurig or what? I have, it's not a Keurig. It is single serve, but it doesn't have the pod. I just put the grounds directly in there. It's like it's own mesh bottom.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean.
2: Yeah, because one of the things about Keurig is it's not, I don't like the waste. So this way I can just compost my coffee grounds. Good for you. Yes, I have a composting service. They bring me a little bucket
1: once a month. And then they pick up the bucket oh. and, nice. and it, yeah, it goes to an urban farm on the south side. If you're
2: listening and you want to know more and you live in Chicago, message me. Charges have been dismissed. Now we are into the year of 1893. Mona, what happened in Chicago in 1893?
1: Right well,
2: there. Yes, the World Columbian
1: Exposition.
2: The. Very first World Fair we hosted here in Chicago and probably the single most important thing for putting Chicago on the map as a world-class city. Yeah, We will talk about the fair sometime in the future because, again, one of the single most important events in Chicago's history. A lot of people came to the World Fair. In fact, 27 million people came. Half the population of the United States of America at the time. It lasted for really? six... Really? Yeah. You realize that many people came. Yeah, 27 million people. And it lasted for six months.
1: And it was the very first World Fair to turn a profit. Oh. Yes. Yeah. And we had our
2: own serial killer, which I was... Put us on the map. That said... It provided a plethora of prospects for grifters, weirdos, and attracting America's first serial killer. H.H. Holmes, how you doing? Shout out. H.H. Holmes, also going to get his own episode. We know that you're going to want an H.H. Holmes episode. There's just so many weirdos that made it to Chicago in and around and because of the World's Fair. Because it was just really an opportunity to grift. And we have 27 million people. There was another weirdo that came who was a healer, and he would heal people outside of the World's Fair. But he was also a flat earther. Ooh. And he formed the city of Zion. Look it up. Zion City <laughs> history is crazy. they <laughs> Really?
1: I have no idea.
2: I read a book on flat earthers. It's the one conspiracy that makes no sense to me. I can understand why people believe most conspiracies. We're going to go on a tangent here, but we'll get back to Streeter in a minute. Most conspiracies start with we're screwed. And instead of just being like, we're screwed and it's the randomness of the universe, it's we're screwed and we're going to find a reason why we're screwed. Flat earth doesn't fix that problem.
1: It really doesn't. It's not just flat. The Earth is flat, then is the, for the, our flat Earth, or is the sun and the moon, are they also flat? Okay, I'm going to explain this as best I
2: can. The Earth is pancake-shaped. It's got a glacier of ice around the pancake so things don't fall off.
1: Oh, and, I see. Okay. And
2: then there's a dome that God put on top of us, like fiber optics. Oh, that's their argument? Yeah, we're like
1: a big light show for God. Oh, cool beans. Okay, cool. Man, I want to hang out with people like that because then all of their other logic has to be in alignment with that particular statement. So a shit can get fucked wild. Is a Dorito not a triangle? Is that a three-dimensional thing that we, I don't know about? I, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I read
2: this book on them and they they deny the Earth landing. You mean the moon landing? Yeah, the moon landing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> this
1: probably would do that too.
2: Yeah. If and then we'll get back to the interesting thing. That, so the woman who wrote the book is a woman named Kelly Weil, and she follows all the far right people. She's been at white nationalist events. She's been at QAnon. She says she encountered more anti-Semitism at flat Earth conventions than she has anywhere else on the far right. Wow, listener, I hope you're you feel better for knowing that. Okay. So we have the fair, it's happening. First Ferris wheel in the world. woohoo! And it's attracting, again, grifters, re- weirdos, and H.H. Holmes. Streeter, he chartered a new, and I'm guessing it's more like new to him, boat called the Mary Q. And he was shuttling people from the north side to the Jackson Park Fairgrounds. And this is quoting from the book, selling lager beer and entertaining them with nonstop chatter that ended in a sales pitch. Nice. Streeter is now gainfully employed, running, I guess you would call it by today's standards, a water taxi from the north side yes. to Jackson Park. Anyone not familiar with Chicago, anyone vaguely familiar with Chicago? Jackson Park was on the south side. It's still there. It's a beautiful park. Frederick Law Olmsted designed it. The only building remaining, because it was a semi-permanent building, is the Museum of Science and Industry, to give you an indication where Jackson Park is. What I'm imagining is from where Navy Pier now is to Jackson Park. That's about right. Yeah, that's, that's just what I'm imagining, because the hotels were downtown. Also, fun fact about the
1: fair. That is the reason we have the L train. Yep. Green line was the first line. I did not know the green line was the first line. Did I just tell you that or did you know that from researching? I didn't know that. No, I didn't, I haven't I did not
2: know that the green line was the first line, but that makes sense. I was reading an article related to it because we're talking Chicago, about how the trains... So I moved here in 1994, and I remember when the brown line was called the Ravenswood, and the red line was called the Howard Dan Ryan. What was the green line called? I don't don't know. I have to look that up. I don't know. It was in the article because it's been like 40 years since they changed the names to colors. And the article was about how there are still Chicagoans who refuse to use the new names for the train lines which is really Chicago yeah totally
1: I still call it Sears Tower and I call it the Rosemont Horizon I don't even know what it's called anymore
2: the Rosemont Horizon
1: I know what the, I know um, Sears Tower State is Reef. called and I still call it the Hancock yeah that's still called the Hancock it's an but official the name off is, arenas. yeah fi-
2: oh yeah the official name is 875 North Michigan for the Hancock now but everybody still calls it the Hancock the Standard Oil Building. There's still people that call the Aon Center the Standard Oil Building. And I had a girl come up to me once. She's like, I work in the Aon Center and my dad still calls it the Standard Oil Building.
1: Love stuff like that. Yeah.
2: My dad always refers to it the Standard Oil Building. I'm like, it's actually called the Aon Center now. And we always have this moment where he's like, wait, Aon bought the Standard Oil Building? No shit. <laughs> It's worth noting it was the Amico building in between Standard Oil, and there was a whole different building name in there. At this time, the state senate, during the fair, so this is during the fair, the state senate set up a subcommittee hearing into the Lakeshore Drive development. And they determined that it was indeed illegal for a park to give land for commercial use. It turns oh, out okay. park boards just can't give away land to rich people for development. Go figure. However, the committee had zero power to enforce anything. They came to Chicago, they set up a subcommittee hearing. This is the state senate. Came to Chicago, they set up subcommittee hearings. They found out that something illegal had happened and they couldn't do anything about it. And in fact, we might need to do an episode just about the rich dudes because the hearings themselves, which I've just really simplified, are sketchy. They'd ask for information and then they'd get the information and they wouldn't do anything about it. In fact, in the report, the committee said that there had been no crimes, but denounced inadequate board proceedings. Back then, inadequate is a gentleman's way of saying illegal. Oh, I like that. I like that they had gentleman's language. Yeah, gentleman's language. Now we have gentleman's language of no collusion or it was a perfect call. But yeah, it was like, yeah, this is shady. We're just going to say you did some inadequate work here. I don't know how much you've been paying attention to the absolute shit show that is all the legal possible cases around Donald Trump right now? No. You literally need the cork board. I'd rather go to the dentist. There's a grand jury in New York. So he's got two or three cases in New York, plus Georgia, plus the DOJ, plus he starts a defamation suit. There's just so much legal shit, which of course is bringing up. There's... No one's ever arrested a former president before. It's just, it hasn't been done. So we've been talking a lot in the country. There's been sound bites like if they can do it to Donald Trump, they can do it to you. It's like, no, I've never paid off a porn star. So my wife didn't find out I had an affair. I'm not worried about it. I'm sorry. I got a little passionate there. But there is a a conversation about. How really? Ugh. No one has evolved the law. Are you going to apply My the love law.
1: I that. What? What do you love? You said you love something. Just all of it. All of it. Oh how? Yeah. All the stuff going around Trump. That's why I'm just. Oh reflecting. yeah. It's hard to keep track of because
2: it's just the roosters are coming home to roost. There. Let me be careful saying this because I feel like the roosters are coming home to roost everything is still a big if. But one of the conversations is talking about how no one is above the law. The law should be applied to people equally. However, in this era, it really
1: does seem like everyone was above the law. No one's being held accountable. So it kind of makes sense that they're like, It feels like, you know how you were saying, you're like, I don't know what kind of cops they were, if they were cops. It makes sense that the modern urban city is only the modern urban city because of shenanigans like you're mentioning now and people trying to figure it out. And, oh, no, we're not going to be, we can't do that, guys. We can't have squatters in the middle of the ocean or some shit like that. So it makes sense that everyone's flumbling around because that's how law develops. People screw up and then, okay don't do that. All right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But I was going to also just add, it seems like everyone's about the law. Oh, except for people who want an eight-hour workday. Riot for workers and you're an anarchist needing to be stamped out. Greet every cop who comes to your house with a gun. That's cool. I triggered myself writing this. Yeah. I Yeah. I love it. And when I got the whole haymarket labor element that was also happening, and then Streeter can just do these shenanigans, it just shows where the priorities were. Let's put it that way. Illinois attorney general was really pissed that the committee didn't find anything. He was really convinced rightfully that some shady shit had gone down. So he got involved and he even set up an office in Chicago, came from Springfield. He was like, this is bullshit. And he got involved and it went to trial. He brought it to trial. Again, I'm oversimplifying this, but it went to trial and shockingly, Every single witness lied. Yeah. The only thing that might've been true or was true that was spoken in the trial was that Lakeshore drive and the lakefront will be enjoyed by Chicagoans for generations to come. That's true. Yeah. That was probably the only truth. And that's why I said, it might be interesting to do a little mini episode because as, I mentioned in the last episode, they didn't leave a lot of words behind. We don't know a lot about this deal from the rich dude's ends of things, but there are records from court cases and whatnot. Because everybody lied, or maybe in spite of it, I don't know, the judge ruled against the state and the Illinois Supreme Court upheld the decision. So... The rich dudes won. The deeds were taken out of escrow and given to the rich dudes. Isn't that inspiring? The land is now officially the rich dudes. Yeah. This is why I'm conflicted because I live in Chicago and I know how this story ends. And the idea and the way it was developed, I can't imagine it being another way.
1: Yeah. I can't imagine what Streeter would have done with Streeterville. Yeah, that's a good point, right? Yeah, I can't imagine
2: because, spoiler alert, by the end of this, there's a lot of team players. As I mentioned, you've got the Burnham plan is in, comes in a couple of years, which is really pro- Green space. One of the things that came out of the 1893 World Fair was the beautiful cities movement. And beautiful cities involve a lot of green space. Washington, D.C. hired Burnham to retroactively beautify their city, knowing that Chicago is one of the top 10 most beautiful cities in the world. And it would not have been that way if the rich guys didn't get their way and I know that I just hate seeing rich guys get their way
1: Mm, yeah but then they die yeah they still got their way (laughs) and they got their way by playing
2: dirty but if Mm, I got mad at everyone in Chicago who got their way by playing dirty I'd have to leave the city and that's an entire 3 million people play dirty. By the fall of 1893, the fair was ending and Mayor Carter Harrison would soon be assassinated in his home.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. The city lawyer had died,
2: and this crazy guy who wasn't a lawyer. Thought that he should be hired to be the city lawyer. So he assassinated Carter Harrison, who would be in the history of Chicago,
1: the first of two assassinated mayors. Oh. Oh. Yeah.
2: The name is escaping me right now. It's not Cicero. It's not Plot.
1: Oh, I can think. look it up while you're doing.
2: Yeah, because when you tell me, like, about yeah, yeah, he was assassinated in his home by a crazy. According to Clat, and I'm going to quote here, Chicago. you're
1: close. Cermak, yes, I know. Like,
2: and this is, I'm telling one of myself, this is how my head was doing it. It's one of those streets west of me.
1: Yeah, Cermac is so close to each other. Yeah. There is an intersection. All right. According to Klatt, Chicago was
2: on a downward slide. Ain't that the truth? That's the truth. We're going to end up shortly with one of the most corrupt mayors in the history of Illinois. Got some corrupt aldermen happening. We still got all those weirdos, grifters, and serial killers from Came for the Fair. I love Chicago. That is where we are going to end this episode. So, wow. yeah, I figure it's the perfect place to end it because it was the end of a chapter in a book and uh-huh. it's ominous. Now, I'm just going to, I was doing some thoughts and I don't know how to say this and maybe we can work it out in conversation. But what this recalls for me is, and I had a conversation with someone about this today, people keep talking about how we've lost our American values and that our country is becoming degenerate. I hear that word a lot, degenerate. Pundits equate drag queen story hours to the Weimar Republic. When they talk about America, they ignore the reality of the frontier vibes. Our frontiers were vicious and lawless. So what are they talking about? People act like having a blue-haired barista is the end of civilization.
1: I, yeah, no, blue-haired barista, awesome. Blue-haired barista who can tell you different countries in the world by understanding the map, awesome. Blue-haired barista who doesn't know how to spell her own last name because she's so glued to her phone and she can't focus on anything or make a left turn. That's a whole other type of human lately. It's not about the hair. It's about the capacity of the human being that's doing the thing. yes.
2: It's not about the hair. It's, it's the person and the capacity of the person and what they yeah. believe. And I feel like there are people just making up. They see someone with blue hair and they just make up all this shit about them. I'm not dissing any blue haired people. Don't at me with your blue hair. Yeah. yeah, blue hair is really irrelevant. Yeah, except for it is a talking point amongst the far right. That is the symbol of degeneracy is that people have blue hair. Whereas back in the 1890s, we had a guy, crazy guy. I'm going to go straight a little crazy. He was just pulling guns on everybody and no one's allowed. That might have been a degenerate time in America. Yeah. And it's worth noting that there were probably people who were deeply offended by this. Deeply offended and pearl clutching was probably happening back then as well amongst the rich people and whatnot. It's worth noting, and I don't think insignificant, that
1: prohibition wasn't that far away. Yeah. In fact, when you look
2: at the World Columbian Exposition, the temperance movement was getting, they had a presence at the fair. And in fact, I remember hearing that there were maps of where ladies and women could go unescorted, but really is also just the hypocrisy of these or the juxtapositions of these two completely different worlds, the lawlessness of the real Chicago. And then what the 27 million people who came to Chicago were seeing at the World's Fair.
1: Oh, oh yeah. They weren't seeing the Maria
2: streeters of the world unless no. they were on her boat yeah,
1: yeah they weren't seeing our like our like our shady side this is the super shadiest time in Chicago's history
2: and blowing my own mind here is the juxtaposition of having the sexism at the fair of places where it's safe for ladies to go unescorted by men then you got Maria Streeter going to a bar and getting drunk and disorderly. Can I Yeah.
1: yeah, Okay. The, the way that the white outlaws were in the early formation of Chicago, is mm-hmm. like the way cops treat the black South side or the Latino South side. Like some of the crime that goes on in Chicago, I get it, but some of the audacity of the criminals before in the early part of Chicago would blow a criminal's mind now. Like they should have crime studies. They should have criminals studying criminals. Because some I'm of a- the shenanigans that were done pre-1950s where it was all like white outlaws, like th- they had some balls. Oh. You, you don't see black gangbangers straight up squatting and taking whole blocks from rich people.
2: No, I mean, there was one city where they, I'm did- to <laughs> say it was Philadelphia. They bombed them, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't an old white law, but yeah. But then getting into being sarcastic here, is that white privilege? Because they're poor. They're not, I don't think the streeters are by any definition rich, but they're white.
1: Yeah, but there was, there's a whole, there's a great book called American Apartheid. If anybody wants to read this book, this book is brilliant. And it shows how in the early 1800s, we weren't nearly as racist as we are now. A lot of that stuff started forming in the early 1900s as, you know, different migration patterns and Black folk, quote unquote, were lumped together, just the color of their skin, not the color of the amount of money in their pocket. But that's a whole separate subject. But keep going. I want you.
2: Or is it classism? One of the things that I've learned as I'm researching the anti immigrant biases between the Protestants and the Catholics. And That's its own thing. Then there was a lack of charity. Was there just a whole class of people that no one really, they were more on the pay no mind list for anyone to care about until they got in their way. I I don't know. Now, it's funny because I was talking to a friend of mine this morning. And there's a conspiracy theorist named Bill Cooper, or was, there was a conspiracy theorist named Bill Cooper, who was, I would say, the OG of modern conspiracy theorists. And he was also, he just didn't pay his taxes.
1: And
2: the And uh-huh. Yeah, the cops left him alone for a long time because they knew how it would go if they tried to arrest him. And then eventually they had to do something, and he went on in a blaze of glory. It was a gunfight, so it was it almost like we're just not going to push the envelope with these people because it's dangerous and they're not really hurting anyone.
1: Or yeah, yeah, wow! Can you imagine that? That being at work? I think this is where I got triggered. Is finding out that in between
2: all of this, you do have Haymarket and Pullman, which were about saving
1: property. Oh, yeah. Very much about proper, avoiding property destruction. And
2: they call Haymarket a massacre for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. And we've, been, we've been through a lot. Yeah. Well, and I think that's one of the things. It's, we've been through a lot as a city, we've been through a lot as a country. So when I hear people talk about unprecedented times, read a history book.
1: Yeah, totally. Just read a history book. I went to the Chicago History Museum back in either January
2: or February. Time flies. There's been so much unrest in this country and in the city of Chicago specifically that I think sometimes we just go numb to it. We go numb to the women's right to vote. It wasn't like people just handed that over to us.
1: Or we romanticize it and we put it in the past and don't acknowledge, appreciate, and evolve it.
2: We don't think about it. Or we don't, we romanticize it. Like, oh, the night, they had video footage from the 1968 DNC riots. And we think of a nice, peaceful love-ins. That was violent. I look at life a lot in the COVID era. And people, I think everything since the COVID era, people just keep calling unprecedented times. And none of it's new in chicago the 1918 spanish flu get a little brain there so the whole world had the spanish flu it was a global pandemic that's what they do guess what chicago had in 1919 what race riots
1: oh yeah just like
2: 2020. Not in 2020 yeah it's not like anything is new and i think it's just being aware of it and again i'm just going to reiterate this is one of the reasons that i want to do this podcast is because for me it's deeply comforting to know we're not that special
1: yeah also for me i love catching the patterns. yes yeah catching the patterns and they are patterns
2: it's happened before. I remember even before 2020. I'm like, oh, the country's so divided. My mom's like, I grew up in the 60s. People were getting shot. And we had a pretty good run of things for a long time, of life just being pretty like as I'm obviously I'm blanketing. I know it's not been great for everyone, but in general, a pretty good run of things. We want to add this significance or this meaning to life since 2020. And it's really just, it's just life.
1: Yeah. Just the universe doing the universe. Yeah, but I, yeah, I feel like at least, even if it feels slow, some of us are trying. I think the pendulum is going to even out
2: at some point in time. I'm not, listen, (laughs) I'm not worried. Like, I'm been... I've been pretty, I've had moments, obviously, I'm a human being, but I'm pretty zen about it. Like, I'm pretty much, it's going to be, it's going to be what it is. I am not foolish enough to think I can control things at that level. All I can do is be kind and control it around me. And sometimes then, even then, yeah, Streeter brought us into some deep shit here at the end.
1: Dude, Streeter? Streeter is our kind of, I just love this name. I think that the fact that Streeter, you learn a lot about hanging out on the street. You just learn, you learn a lot. So yeah, seems to fulfill his name in a weird way. Yeah, he's
2: just, he's a character and he brings us our frontier.